Let's open up to Leviticus 23. We are doing a series on uh, the feasts of the Lord, and um, we've got a handout. Uh, both Stephen and Kenneth left. If you hadn't, didn't get a handout, uh, let me give you one of these. I've only got three, I think. Uh, Tony and Karina probably need one. And then uh, this couple over here, and Mike needs one, I think. And I'll make some more copies if you didn't get one. I'll, I'll make sure I get some. This is our third week on this, and um, the first week, two weeks ago, we did a introduction to it, and this is basically just my notes on the introduction. There was so much, there was so much information on it. Uh, you know, I just wanted to, I thought it'd be easier to, to give you a handout uh, so you wouldn't have to take so many notes and everything. But when we start talking about, as a matter of fact, let's just read, let's read uh, a couple verses here in Leviticus 23, and then we'll talk about this and, and uh, bring everybody up to speed. Uh, Leviticus 23, verse 1 says this, And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, Concerning the feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, even these are my feasts. So, you know, so when the Lord was giving Moses these instructions to give to the children of Israel, he said a couple things in that verse that's important. He said, number one, these weren't just feasts for the Jews. This wasn't just feast for just for one particular person per se, but these this was what God said was feast. These were His feasts. These were feasts to Him, and He said, you know, He said that that you are to keep these. And there's a couple a couple notes in there that um, that you'll notice in this verse that in um, when he when he talks about um, when he says that where it says concerning the feasts of the Lord that word feast actually is a word that means this. This is a really cool part of this. This is actually, it's actually a word that means this. It means a rehearsal. And it means an appointed time. And so, so what God is saying is this. He said, he said, I'm setting appointed times that I want you to come and meet with me. And as a matter of fact, there's seven feasts that, that he gives here. There's four in the spring and then three in the fall. And, uh, and they're grouped together specifically for a reason, and we'll look at that as, even as we get into tonight's, uh, talking about the ones that we'll look at tonight. And he said this, he said, these, basically what these are, these, these uh, feasts, are, they're basically a rehearsal of things that are to come. In the Old Testament, and, th and this is in your notes here on the front page, you know, in the Front Testament there's types and there's shadows. And the types and shadows are, are pictures of things that are to come. In other words... You know, we know, for example, um, you know, different stories in the Bible, different stories in the Old Testament are shadows of things to come in the New Testament. When Moses, uh, when, when the children of Israel are out in the wilderness and they were grumbling, complaining, and, and um, you know, God, God told Moses to, to, to put a bronze serpent on a pole and hold it up. And he said, anybody that looks on it will be healed. Well, what was that a picture of? That was a picture of a day that would come when people would look to the cross of Jesus, Jesus hanging on the cross, people would look to that cross and they would be saved. You know, so it was a type and a shadow of that. 
And it was, you know, it was a foreshadow of something that was to come. And th- that, those are throughout the Old Testament. You see time and time again of these stories that we read that, you know, we talked about there's different layers of Scripture. There's, there's like a practical application, or I mean a practical layer of just like you read the story and, man, that's a cool story and, you know, that's interesting. And if that's all it is to you, then that's all you'll get out of it. Then there's the practical side of it, which means, which means that you can take a story and you can read it. And like, like the story with the bronze serpent, you can just read that story and think, well, man, that's kind of weird. You know, why would, why would God do that? And why would God put a, a serpent on a pole? And, you know, that's just weird. I don't understand it. And you can leave it at that and not get anything out of it. But then you could, but then you could start, you could look at it and say, how can that apply to me today? And of course, when you start understanding it, you start understanding that when that what you gaze upon and what you what you focus on is what will come into reality for your life. So when God told him to focus on that bronze serpent up on the pole, what 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 he was telling him was this: basically, you know, get your attention on the right thing, and healing will come, and deliverance will come. The spiritual side of that is this, and they had no idea at the time when Moses when when God told Moses that. He, he probably thought the same thing. Why, you know, why a bronze serpent? Why, you know, why, you know, I don't understand that. But he, you know, Moses was one that he would obey God. And, and you know, even when it sounded weird, he would just obey God. And, and when he did that, the spiritual application of that is we know, as we look back on it now, we understand that that was a shadow of what Jesus would do on the cross for us and how when we, when we trust in him and when we put our gaze on him, then salvation and deliverance comes. So you see there's different levels, different layers of Scripture that, you know, that if you just read Scripture without digging into it, you'll miss so much. And even, even like what we're talking about here in these feasts, you can, read these, you can read this story here in Leviticus 23, and it's also like in Exodus 12, and there's different places that, that he talks about this, but you can just read about these feasts, these, these festivals of the Lord that the Lord said were important to him, and, and if you don't dig into it and find out, the, find out the, the real meaning of some of this stuff, you know, you lose the, the whole meaning of it. I mean, you, you miss, or not lose, but you just miss so much in the story. And, um, you know, so, so when, God, when God gave them these, these feasts, what he told them was this. He said, this is like a rehearsal. And God said, he told them this, uh, he said, three times a year, he said, three times a year you will come Every male child over the age of 20 will come before me. I want, you know, and he, it, wasn't a, it wasn't a request. He said three times a year, you have, the males 20 years old and older have to come to Jerusalem, have to come to the temple to, to, to celebrate these feasts. And the three feasts that he mentioned were the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the, Pas- I mean the uh, Pentecost, and then the Feast of Tabernacles, or you know, the Feast of Tabernacles. So he said those three, there was one in the spring, then the, the middle one, and then one in the fall. And he said, these three, you will come every year to, to, you know, to celebrate these feasts in Jerusalem. And of course, we know that when Jesus was crucified, um, he was crucified on Passover. You know, and, and there was a lot of people in Jerusalem at the time and so, you know, that's one of the, that's one of the, the stories around the, the whole crucifixion is, is that Jesus was, was, he took like exactly what we looked at last week about Passover. Jesus became the Passover lamb and, and fulfilled the Old Testament picture of Passover. Jesus fulfilled that when he died on the cross as the, as the lamb that was slain for the world. 
the sacrifice that was, that was slain for the world. And uh, if you weren't here last week, I don't have time to, to go back all through Passover, but you can get that, that message online or the CD. And, I mean, Passover is an interesting, um, fascinating, fascinating story and that you can learn about, and there's, it's so deep and so much revelation in there. And, and you see, so, so Jesus fulfilled Passover. Tonight we're looking at unleavened bread and first fruits, the, the next two feasts. Um, and then actually, Jesus actually fulfilled those. I'll give you, a, I'll, I'll just give you, a, I'll go ahead and give you the punchline here. Jesus fulfilled unleavened bread when he was laying in the tomb. Because, uh, because the, the feast of unleavened bread was them remembering that they left Egypt, they come out of Egypt with no leaven. Leaven is always a picture of sin. So it was a picture of them cleansing their life of sin, coming out of Egypt without sin, and then the first fruits is bringing the first fruit offering of the, of the harvest, the first harvest that he said when you cross into the promised land, the very first harvest you, you have, which will be a barley harvest, he said you will bring a first fruit offering, and, uh, and Jesus fulfilled the first fruit offering when he was resurrected. And, and, and we'll look at scriptures tonight that will tell us and show us that the, the Bible says Jesus became our first fruit. He was, he was the first fruit, the first among many. And uh, so Jesus fulfilled the first three. And, of course, Pentecost, which was the giving of the law, uh, the first Pentecost, but Pentecost was fulfilled, of course, when the Holy Spirit was given on, the, on, that, on that day in Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. So those first, the first four feasts have already been fulfilled. The last three that we'll look at in the coming weeks, those three are yet to be fulfilled, and they will be the, the three feasts that are, that are to come, trumpets, and then the Feast of uh, Tabernacle, and then the, the Feast of Weeks. They, they will actually be fulfilled at the second coming, the thousand-year reign, and then, uh, and then when, when we uh, go to heaven forever with Jesus, so, or, you know, and live with Him forever. So those feasts are yet to be fulfilled. And, and we'll, explain, we'll explain more of that as we get there. So last week we looked at, <clears throat> we looked at uh, Passover. On the back, on the, I don't know whether, whether you call it front or back, but on the, on the uh, page that's got the table on it, um, you, see the, you see the seven feasts. You see the Passover, which was the first day of the 14th, the first month, the 14th day, and it, it falls in March or April. Then unleavened, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which we're going to look at tonight, starts on the 15th day of the first month. So it's basically the day after Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And really, those, actually, these three feasts, Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and first fruits, they all happen at the same time. They happen during the same week. So, uh, you know, so, uh, so they are three that happen, to the, you know, pretty much uh, they coincide and, and run together. Then, of course, Pentecost happens 50 days after first fruits. Uh, and that's the day we still celebrate Pentecost um, at that. Then the Feast of Trumpets is in September, October, the, feast, the Atonement Feast, and then the Tabernacles. So those are the seven feasts. And we looked at, we looked at the first one last week would be in Passover. Now, uh, you know, God's, God told them this, these, are, these are feasts that you will keep uh, perpetually, in other words, forever. And the Jewish people still keep these feasts. They still, they still are very... Uh, um, you know, I, I guess you could use the word religious or very, um, very sure to keep these feasts, and they celebrate these. You know, and 
with Passover being um, being such an important feast, because Passover is, of course, as we looked at the story last week, when God um, passed over the children of Israel with the death angel, because they took the lamb and put the blood on the doorpost, and we looked at what all that meant, and 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 how He passed over, um, you know, passed over the the all of the children of Israel that had that the blood on the doorpost, and then and then uh, the next that very night. You know, they left Egypt. And he told them, if you remember in the story of Passover, he told them, eat, eat the Passover meal with your loins girded, fully clothed, with your staff in hand. And what that was symbolic of was that, that there was going to be a fast exit. There was going to be a, there was going to be a time when, when he said, all right, it's time to go. And you wouldn't have time to pick up your clothes and your coat and everything. He said, I want you to eat fully clothed, ready to walk out the door. And sure enough, when that death angel came, on Passover that night, there was such a cry that happened in Egypt that they cried out and they said, they told the children of Israel, get out of here. We don't want you anymore, lest we all die. <laughs> you know. And the Bible said that they went, that God told them to go and ask, ask for the silver and gold. And they left, Israel, or they left Egypt after 430 years in bondage. They left Egypt with all of the wealth of, of uh, Egypt in their possession. So they had been slaves for 430 years, but they left with wealth. And they left with no leaven. Now, and that's what we're going to look at tonight. So let's, let's pick up here and we'll read a, a few verses here, and then we'll, uh, we'll talk about the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the, and the significance. Man, these, like I said, some of these stories, when you dig down into them, man, they are so fascinating and they're so awesome as you see this in Scripture. So in Leviticus 23, we read verse, verse 1 and 2. And where God said that, verse 2, God says, Speaking to the children of Israel, say unto them, Concerning the feast of the Lord, which ye shall proclaim to be, whole, to be a holy convocation, even these are my feasts. So he said, you know, they're mine. They're, you know, and I want you to keep them. And, and in verse 3 he says, Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work therein. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. These are the feasts of the Lord, even holy convocations, which you shall proclaim in their seasons. So he told him, he said, these are, these are special times. These are set-apart times. They're, they're appointed times that he said that I want you to appoint. And, and, they're, and they're very, they're very uh, particular where they fall. And you remember, if you remember the first week, we talked about how that the Jewish calendar is they, they went off the cycles of the moon. And because they went off the cycles of the moon, um, they end up being about, uh, being about uh, like 11 days shorter than our, our calendar, our 365-day calendar. And so every three years, um, the Jewish calendar will add a month so that they can keep the feast in the right time. That's the reason, like you see on the table there I gave you, where it says Passover is the first month, and it says March or April. The reason it's March or April is because, because there's an 11-day difference every year. So it happens 11, 11 days different every year. And then the third year, they, they add that month, and it brings it back, you know, instead of it being, you know, going into March, April, May, then it'll bring it back up into March. You know, so, so they add that extra month, and they do that so that they can keep these cycles because it is important because, like we're, what we'll find out tonight, the, the first fruit offering is, the, is, a, is a offering of the barley harvest. Well, 
the barley harvest happens at a specific time of year. It, it's not going to move just because your calendar moves. It's still going to happen at a certain time. And if you don't adjust your calendar, if they didn't adjust their calendar, then, then the first fruit offering, the first fruit feast would not be able to happen because the barley, the barley harvest would be totally off. So you see the importance of them. He said, you know, these, these are for specific times. They're appointed times. And you keep them, you know, specifically for these times. Then he goes, um, he says in verse 5, he says, In the fourteenth day of the first month at evening is the Lord's Passover. And on the fifteenth day of the same month is the feast of unleavened bread unto the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. In the first day you shall have a holy convocation, and you shall do no service or no servile work therein. But you shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord seven days. In the seventh day it is a holy convocation. You shall do no work um, therein. And the Lord spoke unto Moses and said, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, When you come into the land which I shall give you, which I give unto you, you shall reap the harvest thereof. Then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest unto the priest. And he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted for you on the morrow after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. Now, we'll stop there just for a second. So the two feasts that he's talking about, now Passover happens on the 14th day of the first month. You remember, um, if, and see, and if you have to understand how these days, how the days work and in the Jewish cycle because their day started at 6 p.m. at night. So when, when, when it got to be evening, it was actually the next day. Like our day starts like at midnight. Their day started at, at dark, which would be roughly 6 o'clock. So, so when, he said, when he said on the first day, of the of the feast on the fourteenth day, um, you know you you'll prepare the Passover, and see and this whole the whole calendar thing is why we get so off on um, the whole Passion Week, because you see the the here's the and we talked a little bit about this last week. Here's the here's the 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 way that they did this. They said on the tenth day of the month, on the tenth day of the first month, they were to bring the Passover lamb to be inspected by the priest. And then they would keep, and once it was accepted, they would take that lamb back home, and they lived with that lamb for four days. And they lived with it, and they kept watch over it, and they made sure nothing happened to it. And then on the 14th day, at about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, they would offer that lamb as a sacrifice. They would, they would take the lamb, they would offer it as the sacrifice, they would take the blood, and, and they would put it on their doorpost. And it had to be on their doorpost before 6 o'clock, you know, in that day of Passover, because at 6 o'clock started the next day. And, and if, you know, so, so it happened at 3 o'clock. Now, the reason that's important is this. When you, when you study this, the story of Jesus and the, the Passion Week and when he, when he came into Jerusalem, he came into Jerusalem on the, on the 10th of that first month. And as the, as the lambs were being offered to the, or, or given to the priests for inspection, that's when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the back of that donkey. And, and it was like he was coming in and he was being inspected by the people to see if he would be accepted as the, as the sacrificial lamb. 
So then for those four days, Jesus went in and out, and he taught in the synagogues, and he did all this. And then you remember when he got arrested there and he, he got brought before Pilate, what was it Pilate said? Pilate, when, he, when, they, when they scourged him and when they did everything they, they, they did to Jesus, when Pilate stood before the people the last time, he said, he said, I find no guilt in this man. So what he was saying is he is the perfect sacrificial lamb for the entire world. And so, so see, the, as just at the same time, so then they, so, so that happened, that happened like on the night of Passover when that happened. So, or like, you know, right in the early mornings of Passover, I should say, Jesus was crucified that morning on Passover morning. You remember Passover started at six o'clock at night. The trial was during the night. And then, so during the night they had the trial and they did all this stuff. Well, the next morning was when, was when they took Jesus to hang him on the cross. When he hung on the cross, uh, you know, the Bible says he, hang from, he hung from like 9 o'clock in the morning, and then, and then there was a space of darkness. And you remember that, you remember there was a big, there was a big thing about them having to break the legs of, the, of the, the two thieves and everything, and they said they had to get them down. Well, what that was was this. They could not, they could not be on the cross at 6 o'clock because the next day started the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And we just read where he said that the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the first day was a holy day to God, which means no work could be done. So they had to have all the work done by 6 o'clock that, that, that night, and they couldn't be hanging on the cross. So they went to break the legs of, the, of, of all three of them so that they would die. And it was at, the Bible tells us, now check this out, the Bible tells us that it was at 3 o'clock in the afternoon when Jesus, when he cried out that last time, when he cried out, it is finished. It was at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. The reason that's significant is because at 3 o'clock in the afternoon is when the high priest was actually sacrificing the lamb, the, the scapegoat. You know, they had the scapegoat and they would let one go, then they would sacrifice the other one for, you know, for the sins of the people. At 3 o'clock in the afternoon is exactly when he raised the knife and, and offered the sacrifice for that lamb for the nation of Israel. And just as he, and, and, and he would even say, he would even say those same words in effect. He may not, I, I can't remember the exact words he would say, but it was something to the effect of, you know, this sacrifice is finished. And as, at, at the same time that he was saying that, Jesus was hanging on the cross and Jesus said that as well. The reason that is important that Jesus, they didn't break any of his bones, was, well, a couple of reasons. Isaiah prophesied that, that not one bone would be broken. But also, if you read this story, if you read the story of the Passover lamb, the Bible says that the, God told them, when you, when you take care of the lamb and when, you're, you, know, when you uh, slaughter the lamb and you eat the lamb and everything, he said, make sure that not one bone is broken. So, so that was a, a picture, and that's exactly why when they, when they went to break the legs of Jesus, they looked at him and they said, he's already dead. And, and then they, they took the, 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 the spear and pierced his, his side, you know, and then blood and water came out. And that was, I mean, that's a whole other whole picture. But you can see that it was, the, it was the perfect picture, the perfect resemblance. It was the perfect, the Passover lamb was the perfect shadow of exactly what happened to Jesus Christ on the cross. And the timing couldn't have been, I mean, the timing was spot on. It, you know, it was, it was not off, it was not off one minute. It happened exactly the way that the Passover lamb, they said that, that it would happen. 
So, so the Feast of Passover, you know, ended at 6 o'clock and the Feast of Unleavened Bread started next. So what was the Feast of Unleavened Bread? The Feast of Unleavened Bread, God told them that it was a remembrance for them that they had to leave Egypt in such a rush that they didn't have time to put leaven in the bread. And, you know, because they left in the middle of the night. And the Bible says they took their dough with them, with their kneading bowls and everything, but they couldn't take, they didn't have time to put the, the yeast in it to make the, the bread rise. So they, so when they went out into the wilderness that next day, all they had was unleavened bread. And so this was the feast of unleavened bread where he told them, he told them, he said, listen, he said, he said, you know, for seven days, you're gonna, you're not gonna have any leaven in your, in your possession whatsoever. They even go so far as to, and really, I was a couple of people I was reading after and, and listening to, uh, studying this. They say that this is really where we get our spring cleaning from, because every spring before Passover. Now you have to understand, um, at the time they may not have understood this, but leave, you know after after all this happened and they started they started um, keeping these every single year. What they had to do, they had to make sure before Passover that they had no leaven whatsoever in their, in their house. Not just, not just that they couldn't cook with it, but they couldn't even have leaven in the house. So every Twinkie and every sourdough bread and every, every type of all that stuff that, that we all love, it had to be out of the house. And as a matter of fact, the Bible says that, that they would take that, they would take whatever leaven they had, and they would put it in a bag, and the next day they would burn it, symbolizing that, all of the, that they have all the leaven out of their house. Well, guess what leaven represents? Leaven represents sin. And what it is for us today, what we get out of the Feast of Unleavened Bread is this. It is a picture of us cleansing our life of sin. And what happened, and what happened was this. When Jesus, when he died on the cross that day and they laid him in the tomb, he was, he, he fulfilled the, the feast, or he fulfilled the, the, the feast of unleavened bread because he laid in that tomb, you know, he had, he became sin, but when he died, guess what? When you die, you don't sin anymore. So when he laid in the tomb, he put an end to sin. And that was that was one of the pictures we get out of uh, out of the feast of unleavened bread is a time that we cleanse ourselves of all of the sin in our life and we make sure that we that you know we we check everywhere and that we don't that we don't have any sin. You remember last week I told you about like the game that like in in the Passover meal that the Jewish people have today they play like a little game where the parents hide. Some unleavened, uh, some a piece of that unleavened, unleavened bread folded in a napkin, and they play a game. And whoever finds it, the child that finds it, they get to they get a prize. Well, last week I think I even forgot to mention this, but the significance of that of that piece of bread in the in the linen cloth was this: was that that it was a promise. The father would make that child a promise and say, you know, I promise that that I'll give you this gift since you found this this prize. And here's the, here's the thing. The gift that, that that symbolizes is the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that the Father, Jesus, remember what he told the disciples, wait in Jerusalem until the promise from the Father be given to you. So, so that was like when you found Jesus, he told his disciples, wait, and the promise is coming. And then on, Pas- or on, on Pentecost, that promise was fulfilled. 
But the Feast of Unleavened Bread, they play, they play another game with this. And what they do at, at that night, that, that after 6 o'clock on the, the day of, of Passover, they, the, the kids go and, and they take a feather and a spoon and the father hides, hides uh, pieces of bread in tinfoil and he hides it throughout the house. And the kids go and find that bread and they take the, the feather and they rake it off into a spoon and they put it in a bag and then everything that they find, that's what they burn the next day. But they, they, it's, it's such a tedious process. You know, they play a game with it with the kids, but it's such a tedious process that they make sure there's no breadcrumbs. They make sure that, that the, every cutting board is perfectly clean, that there's not a crumb anywhere. Because the Bible said that if you have any leaven in your house, then it will, it will, it will make you undefiled. Or it'll defile you. I said that backwards. It'll, it will defile you. And think about that just for a moment, what yeast does. When you put just a little bit of yeast, and as a matter of fact, Jesus talked about that. Let's look in, uh, as we look at that, let's look here in, uh, let me find this scripture, I'm sorry. <clears throat> uh, let's go to Deuteronomy 16 first. Let's look at this one scripture here. This is an a explanation of, the feast and what God told them, Deuteronomy 16, and what, and what they were to remember. And we'll look at uh, verse 3 and 4. <clears throat> Deuteronomy 16, 3 says this, You shall eat no leavened bread with it. Seven days shall you eat unleavened bread there, therewith, even the bread of affliction. For thou camest forth out of the land of Egypt in haste, that you may remember the day when you came forth out of the land of Egypt all the days of your life. And there shall be no leavened bread seen with thee in all of the coasts seven days. Neither shall there be anything of the flesh which thou, which thou sacrificed the first day at evening that will remain all night until the morning. Because he told him, remember at Passover, he told him. You know, what you don't eat, you burn. Completely, you know, completely just take care of it and don't leave anything till the next day. So it's characterized, you know, you have to remove it from, from, your, from, from your house, has to be clean of, of yeast, of, of leaven, uh, or we call it, we would call it yeast today. Yeast and leaven is the same thing. And, but it points to Christ. The significance of it is that it points to Christ without sin. And, you know, being this, the sinless person. Now, if you, re, if you look at Romans chapter 6, we won't take the time to read all that, but Romans chapter 6 talks about us being buried with Christ, us counting ourselves dead to sin, united with Him in His death, and, and we don't offer ourselves to sin. So what happened when Jesus died, on the, when Jesus died on the cross and when they buried Him, the Bible says that we were buried with Him. And he was the picture of no sin. And he, he died to sin, so therefore he's no longer a servant to it. That's what Romans tell, Paul told us that. He said that since you're dead to sin, since you died with Christ, you're no longer a servant to sin. Why? Because a dead person can't sin. <laughs> Amen. And, you know, so that is, this feast points us today, it points us to the fact that we're dead to sin. Now look at Matthew Matthew 16, and notice a couple things here that Jesus said about leaven and about, uh, about some of these things. In Matthew chapter 16, 
Jesus warned them of the uh, in 16 verse 6. Notice this. He says, Then Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. Now, isn't that something? He wasn't talking about physical leaven, but what was he talking about? He was talking about a mindset. He was talking about a thought process. What does that mean? What, what, what he was saying was this. What Jesus was saying was this. If you think on the wrong things, it will contaminate your whole life. Just like yeast or leaven in a little bit of dough will contaminate the whole thing. It doesn't take it very long for that yeast to get through the whole, the whole loaf of, of, you know, of, of dough there. And it'll start rising. It'll start, and, and actually, the whole process of yeast is that yeast is a, is a living organism. <laughs> type, you know. And when it gets in there, actually what it does, it starts killing the dough and it starts puffing it up. And it actually turns into what? It turns into uh, carbon monoxide or something like that that'll kill you. But what happens, those little bubbles, that the, the, the air that gets in that, it actually starts making the yeast or the, the, the dough rise. And what that, what that is a picture of is when leaven or when sin gets in our lives, what does it do? It start, it, it'll make sin, sin will make us be puffed up. And you know, one of the things that the Bible says that God hates is pride. And pride is what goes before a fall. And pride is something that, that, you know, that God just cannot stand because of what it does to us. So Jesus told him, he said, be careful, be on guard against the leaven of the Pharisees, the mind, the thinking that will, that will corrupt you. Now look at 1 Corinthians 5, 1 Corinthians 5, and notice what, what Paul said here concerning, uh, concerning this feast and concerning leaven in, in our lives. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 6, 6, 7, and 8. Paul said this. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 6. He says, Your your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out therefore the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as as you are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Now notice there that, that Paul was talking about that Jesus, that Jesus Christ was our Passover. He was saying that Jesus fulfilled Passover in his death in his death. He said, just like Jesus is our Passover, he said, You're now a new lump of dough. He says, Don't so don't let any leaven get into your life. Because Jesus is our Passover now. And then verse 8, he goes on to say this, Therefore, let us keep the feast. Now, isn't that something? He said, he said Jesus is our Passover, so he said, so let us keep this feast. And he was talking about leaven, and he was talking about not letting leaven in. So what he was talking about is let us keep this feast of unleavened bread. Because he said, you are unleavened. Paul said, you are without sin. Because Jesus was our Passover. So he says, Therefore, let us keep this feast, not with the old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of, of sincerity and truth. So he said, he said so what, how you keep the feast of unleavened bread is with sincerity and with truth. 
In other words, what he was saying was this. You have to be sincere in your relationship with God. We talked about this Sunday, about, about being, being sold out, being, you know, doing it with your whole heart. He said, he said you, you know, to keep, to keep leaven out of your life, you have to be sincere and you have to know the truth. Because, because it doesn't take much. Those of you that cook and those of you that, you know, that, that mess with bread and different things like that, you know it doesn't take much leaven or yeast to make the whole thing puff up. So, so the Feast of Unleavened Bread reminds us that as God's people... Just like the Corinthians, we need to clean out the old leaven and make sure that we're not, uh, you know, that we don't have anything in our life that that hinders that. So for seven days, so we have the so we have Passover that starts on the fourteenth, and it's a one and really Passover is a one day is a one day feast, but it goes right into the feast of unleavened bread, which starts on the fifteenth, and then. The, the Feast of Unleavened Bread lasts for seven days. But then the Bible says that the first fruit, the first fruit offering comes the Sabbath, after, the Sabbath after Unleavened Bread starts. And most of the time, most people, most people will say that it starts the day after. In other words, Passover is the 14th, Unleavened Bread is the 15th. And remember, Unleavened Bread, the Bible says, is, is a... Is a uh, is a uh, holy day to itself, and you can't do any work. It's ju- it's the same as a Sabbath. So most people believe that first fruits would happen on the sixteenth. So Passover is the fourteenth. First, or uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread starts the fifteenth, and then here first fruits is on the sixteenth. What was first fruits? First fruits was where God said that you would bring the barley harvest, which the barley was. Now, this see, and if you just read that and you didn't know the cycles, you might not think much about it. But here's what happened: they they would plant the barley in the winter, and it would grow through the winter months, and then it would be ready. It would be ready to harvest come March, you know, come March in April in that time frame, and and the barley would come. It would come like uh, probably a month to two months before the wheat harvest would come. But now here's the thing about the barley harvest. The barley had a, a lot, a, a, a much harder time growing because it had to grow in the winter months. And, and the first fruits, when you think about the first fruits, what, what was the first fruits representative of? The first fruits would be representative of Jesus rising from the dead, raising from the dead, and the Bible calls him our first fruit. And see, so his, his life, his, uh, him being planted and him growing was a lot harder because he had, to, he had to grow in the winter months, so to speak. And thank God we, the Bible, God told them, God said, now you're not going to celebrate this until you pass over into the promised land and you, you get the fruit or you get the, the harvest that's already been planted. So see, you didn't have to do nothing for this harvest. You walked into the promised land and there was the harvest. You, you just took the first fruits of it and come and offered it before the Lord as your first fruit offering because Jesus took care of that for us. And the barley, the way that you would, the way that you would harvest the barley is that you would, they would take the barley and, and it had kind of a rough shell on the top of it and it had to be beaten with sticks. They would take a rod and beat the, beat the heads of the barley to get the, to separate it. 
Well, that's what happened with Jesus, right? He was beaten. He was he he took stripes for us. He, you know, by his stripes we're healed. The you know his you know and everything that he did that was and that was the perfect picture of of what happened. You know, to to Jesus. Um, look with me at First uh, Peter First Peter chapter two. Let me make sure that's right. First, well, I mean, you, you guys know this scripture, but First Peter chapter two. We'll just read it. First Peter chapter two, verse twenty-four says, "Who who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we be in dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed." So that first fruit offering, when Jesus offered Himself, He was the one that offered. He was the one that offered His body for us. Now look with me at First uh, Corinthians fifteen. And this is where Paul uh, shows us about Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20. Now, we just if, if you remember, we just saw where Paul called Jesus our Passover. Now, notice what he says here in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. He says, But now is Christ risen from the dead, and He became the firstfruits of them that slept. So now he said that when Jesus rose, he became that first fruit offering. And he goes on to say this, for since by man for since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ they shall be made alive. But every man that is in but every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits Afterwards, they that are Christ's at His coming. Praise God. So He said, so, so Jesus, He fulfilled the first fruit offering at His resurrection, and He said He's the first, and He said then everybody else, when Jesus comes, they will be resurrected just like Jesus was. Amen. That's pretty awesome. Now, let me, let me share a couple more things with you, and we'll finish up for tonight. Um, when you think about the Feast of Unleavened Bread, I was reading this today, and I thought this was pretty cool. As far as uh, as far as the what what happens when when we clean our lives out of sin, if you go back to the children of Israel, think about think about this for a moment. The children of Israel had been in bondage for four hundred years, four hundred thirty years, and they had been in slavery, treated treated horrible. You know, I mean, you you know, the Bible says they they cried out to God time and time again, and you know, and and, and then even when Moses came to deliver them, Pharaoh just made it harder and harder and harder on them. That's exactly what sin will do to us. You know, sin just makes it harder and harder and harder to get set free, to get to get free from from whatever it is that that's got you in bondage. But now check out what happens when you clean the leaven out of your life, when you clean sin out of your life. God told them, He said, He said, eat the Passover lamb. You know, with unleavened bread, and and be ready because because you're going to get out of here in a hurry. So the children of Israel they ate the they ate the feast of unleavened bread or the the meal of Passover. I mean, excuse me, they eat the meal of Passover, put the blood on the the doorpost. The death angel passed over their houses that night, and the firstborn of every of every household of of human and animal alike in Egypt died that night. 
I mean, you know, we talked about this last week, just how, how horrible that must have been. That, I mean, what a night that was, you know. I mean, and could you imagine the screaming and the crying and the weeping that you could hear out of Egypt that night? When the firstborn of every, every household, there wasn't one house in Egypt that it didn't affect. I mean, just think about that. But here's what happened. Egypt, I mean, Israel, they left. They left their leaven behind. They cleaned out their house. They cleaned out their lives. They left the leaven, and they go out into the wilderness. And they get away from sin, right? They get away from, from the bondage. They get away from slavery. They're out in the wilderness just a few days, you know, and we don't really know how many. It could have been one day. It could have been two or three days. But anyway, they get out in the wilderness, and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden here, they start seeing Pharaoh coming back after them. Pharaoh changed his mind, and they're, they're, he's hot on their trail now. And they go up to... They go, up, they go up to the Red Sea. They make it to the Red Sea, and they're like, man, what's God going to do? You know, how's, how's this going to work out? You know, they, of course, they're murmuring and complaining. Moses, you brought us out here to kill us. You know, we would have been better off staying in Egypt. But then God spoke, and God split the Red Sea. And they walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. You know, could have been up to, I mean, some people say up to, um, you know, could be three million people. I mean, I don't, you know, we don't really know a number. Uh, from one million to three million people, you know, we're not really sure on that. But that many people go through go through the Red Sea on dry ground, get to the other side. Here comes Egypt. Here comes their enemy, the ones that kept them enslaved and kept them kept them in bondage all those years. They get to the middle of the they get to the middle of the the Red Sea there, and the Bible says that that God caused confusion, and they they started their chariots started getting stuck, and the the mud started coming back up. God released the water. And right in front of their eyes, the children of Israel watched as their enemy for 430 years, the very thing that had been keeping them in bondage, got washed away. Now think about what happened. They cleaned the leaven out. Now this, this is one of those things, you read the story and that's a cool story. But how can we apply that to our lives? Here's a practical application and also a spiritual application that we know it's true spiritually. But here's what happens. When you clean the sin out of your life, when you, with sincerity and truth, you clean the sin out of your life and you live a sanctified life and a holy life set apart from God, you will start finding that the very thing that kept you enslaved, it, it will release you and you can, watch, you can watch it being washed away right in front of your eyes. And the very thing that kept you in bondage and kept you broke and kept you, you know, your money just seemed like just running down the drain. When you clean the sin out, all of a sudden you'll find out that you'll have riches that you never knew about. And it all happens, it all happens as you clean the, the, the leaven or the sin, the, the, world, the worldliness, when you clean that out of your life and, and you start doing things God's way, you will see, man, the, you know, and see, that's why I said, when you look at these feasts, when you look at Passover and what Jesus did for us, and when you look at, uh, you know, unleavened bread, see, because this is one of those feasts that, that really it's up to you and me. You see, Jesus died on the cross, and, and he, he, beca- you know, he, he became dead to sin. We're buried with him. We're dead to sin. But guess what? It's your choice and my choice whether we walk in that or not. You see, because, because we can always hide a little bit of leaven behind where no, we think nobody knows about it. Oh, well, nobody will know about this. I'll keep this hid. Now, you know, a little leaven won't hurt nobody. 
But then what did Jesus say? We read what Jesus said, a little leaven, leaven at the whole lump. You remember the story of Achan, where Joshua went in and they took, the, they took one of the cities and God said, burn the whole place, don't take anything. Achan saw some clothes and some gold and, and he took it and he thought, well, nobody will know. And he took it and he buried it in his tent, hid it in his tent. They win, they win a big battle, you know, and then, and then they, they go up against this little town of Ai, which only had, they only sent a few hundred people up there because, you know, they're nothing, right? I mean, we just had this huge battle and we won it and, man, we're doing great and God's on our side, so we'll just send a few hundred people up here. They get up there and get their rear ends kicked. And they come back and Joshua cries out to the Lord, Lord, what's up with this? And what did God tell him? God said, God said, clean the sin out of your camp. And Joshua was like, I don't know what you're talking about. And he said, and God told him, he said, somebody's touched the accursed thing. And they, sure enough, they go look, and they're aching in his house. He admits to it. And he says, man, I didn't, I didn't think that, I didn't think that it was uh, that big of a deal. Well, what did they do? You know, I'm, I'm reading, this is, I mean, uh, I'm reading the Bible through again this year. And, and, uh, and, you know, and I've already got through, uh, I, I'm a, I, it's so funny because I'm finding it so fascinating this year, even more, more than I ever have before. And I'm already like in, I'm already in like halfway through Deuteronomy, you know, and, and all these stories from in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers about how that, that God just keeps telling the children, He keeps telling His kids, you know, don't touch this thing. If you touch it, you'll be defiled. And if you're, you know, and man, if you find somebody that touches it, take them out of the camp and stone them. And, and just, you know, and you're like, man, that is so harsh. Why are they like that? You know, and even the story of Joshua and Achan there, I mean, and, and you know, when, when, when they found out who it was, what did they do? They took him, they took him out of the camp, him and his whole family, his livestock, everything he owned, and they burned them outside the camp. And you think, what? You know, man, all he did was take a little bit of stuff. But what you don't realize is this. That little bit of stuff infects everybody. You know? And, and when, 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 you, when, you, when you and I, when we allow a little bit of sin in our lives, when we just touch just a little bit, when we think, oh, well, it won't matter, this won't hurt, this won't hurt, I'll do this and I'll go there and I'll take that and I'll drink this and I'll, I'll smoke this and I'll, you know, watch this and, and, and nobody will know about it. Well, guess what? That leaven comes in and affects everything. And before you know it, you know, you're losing battles that you should have won no problem. And so much of the time, we don't want to, we don't want to get honest before God. We don't want to be sincere and truthful with Him like He doesn't know. <laughs> right? I mean, we try to hide things from God. And all the while, God's saying, God's saying clean, clean the place out. You know, get rid of the sin. Get rid of the... You know, time and time again, when they would, when, when the children of Israel would take a town or, or, you know, take a kingdom, what would God tell them? God would say, they, He would say, cut down every high place. Cut down, chop up every idol. Burn every wooden thing. Burn everything. You know, don't bring any of it. He said, don't marry the women and don't let your, don't let your sons marry the women or your, your daughters marry the men. Why? Because, because they will bring you in to make you serve their gods. And time and again, we see that happening to Israel. They're not, I mean, Israel hears the instructions, but time and time again, we see Israel intermarrying to, you know, to, to these different tribes and these different things, and, and we see them, them start serving their other gods. You know, we saw when we studied Hebrews chapter 11 
um, you know, the end of last year. We saw that when we were talking about the judges, how, how that was a cycle with them. They, as long as they had a, a, a judge that was, that was powerful and a prophet that was powerful, man, they were serving the Lord. But as soon as that person would die, they would go back and they would, they would start serving other gods. And then they would go in bondage and they would go in slavery. And then God would have to raise up another prophet or another judge you know, to, to help deliver them. And it was just a cycle. I think it happened like seven times in the book of Judges where, where it just happened time and time again. Every time one prophet would die or one judge would go off the scene, the children of Israel would start serving another God. And they would go into slavery and they'd go into bondage. God would raise up a prophet, you know, and, and he would come and deliver the word of the Lord. They would turn and repent and God would deliver them. Well, you know, everything was fine while the prophet lived. And then, then as soon as the prophet died, here they go back serving sin again. And, and it was just a cycle. And how many of us get in that cycle in our lives? You know, God delivers us and God sets us free and, and we're doing great. But then the next thing we know, you know, oh, well, well, I'm strong enough now that I can do this. And it won't hurt. Yeah, I can go there. I can, I can do this. But, but what God says is this. If you have leaven, if you have sin, it, it'll leaven the whole bunch. It'll leaven the whole lump. Paul said, that's why, that's why Paul said that. He said, listen, he says, you're a new lump. <laughs> you're, you're, a new, you're a new pack of dough, right? And you're an unleavened. In other words, and, and here's the thing about unleavened. This is the, the, one of the cool things. They said to cook unleavened bread, the way they cooked it on the, the fire, they said that they could, you could, you could, you know, put a piece of unleavened bread, thin it out real good, and throw it on the, the kittle that they made it on there or something. And they said that it would cook in like 18 seconds. And it would be done. And you can't overcook it because then it's useless. You know, you have to, it has to be just right. But see, when you don't have sin in your life, things happen a lot quicker. When you, when you have to wait on the yeast, you make one little, you make one, you know, if you've ever cooked cakes or done anything like that, if you jar it while, you know, while it's rising, what's going to happen to it? It's going to fall, right? Well, that's what happens when, when we have sin in our lives. All it takes is a little nudge, and the next thing we know, everything's falling apart. You know, where, where the unleavened, you know, you don't have to worry about that sin puffing you up and, and pride coming up. Why? Because you don't have it in you. You're dead to that. You have no leaven in you. Amen. So that's good stuff. Amen. So listen, I, I've only touched on, man, I could, I mean, there's so much in these things, and I, I don't know whether I did a good job tonight dis, describing all that or not, but... But, I mean, because we're only touching the surface on it. You could go in so, so deep in these, these things. I'm just trying to kind of whet your appetite and, and get you to where you want to go study it a little bit more. And, and, uh, and you know, so next week, next week we're going to look at Pentecost. And, uh, man, that's an exciting one, right, about the Holy Spirit and, uh, you know, and, and uh, the, the whole giving of the law and everything like that, you know, with Moses and, and then the giving of the Spirit, of course, on the day of Pentecost in the New Testament. So, uh, so we'll look at that next week. Amen. Well, let me pray for you, and we'll, we'll let you go tonight. So, Father, I thank you for your goodness tonight. I thank you for your word. I thank you, Father, for, for uh, giving, us, giving us these scriptures, Father, to where we can, to where we can see and know and, and understand these truths. Father, as we dig into the scripture and as the Holy Spirit reveals these things to us, Father, we can see these things and we can, we can understand them and we can apply them to our lives to where... To, to where, Father, that, that, we can, that we can walk these things out 
Um, and Father, because these are appointed times. You said in your word, Father, that these were appointed times that you wanted to meet with us. And Father, these times, just like this, is still true today. Father, when, when, we, when we get the sin out of our lives, Father, that, you know, those are, that's an appointed time when we, can, when we can have face-to-face encounters with you, Lord. And I'm so thankful for that. So, Father, we pray blessings on each one tonight. I pray, Father, as we go our way, thank you for bringing us home safe. Thank you, Father, for putting people across our path this week that we can share the gospel with, that we can share the love with, and just, and just share a smile and a, and a hug with maybe or whatever. And uh, just to declare the love of Jesus, Father. And we thank you for that. We pray your blessings on each one tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless.